Well, hello, Brush Prairie. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. Here's a question. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? How you doing? It's good to see you. What causes the quarrels, the little tiffs, and fights, those that escalate to more serious things, among you, Brush Perry? Now, before I go on, I have to know, is this message, this question James asked us in chapter 4, right out of the chute, does, is it relevant? Should I just pray? Because at Brush Perry, we don't have quarrels and tiffs. Thank you, brother. We have one brother that needs this message, so I'm preaching to him today. <laughs> what causes the quarrels and fights among you? Now, when Pastor Bob assigned me this passage, because I know you guys have been working through the book of James, and so you already know that James is no nonsense. He gives it to you. He's hard-hitting. And this section of Scripture is probably where he pulls the gloves off the most. It's the hardest hitting, the most challenging, aggressive part. So I said, thanks a lot, Bob. My approval ratings are going to drop significantly <laughs> at Brush Prairie. And then my wife, Joyce, reminded me, Pastor Bob did not assign you this passage. God did. Thank you. Speaking of Joyce, a few weeks ago we celebrated our 30-year anniversary. And speaking of Joyce, I want to ask the question again. What causes quarrels and fights among you? <laughs> now, Joyce and I, we really actually don't uh, quarrel and fight that much, but we used to quite a bit, especially when we first got married. Uh, we had a lot to work through. And do you know that there's good reasons uh, solid reasons, uh, not bad reasons, but just reasons why we quarrel and fight. Just reasons of humanity. I remember one incident, uh, and I call it the Polish pottery incident. Do you guys know what Polish pottery is? Oh my goodness, some of you do. We, gotta, we could sell it here. Oh my goodness, yes. It's pottery from Poland. It's Hand-painted, is beautiful, it's, oh, we just love it. Well, they opened up a Polish pottery outlet near our home. And so we, uh, we love it, and we love to give it as gifts. Well, one day I came home from the office, and when I, this was years ago, so I learned that when I come home, uh, I'm not off duty, I just need to shift gears into loving my family and the four kids, they were younger at the time, and uh, the hours kind of between 4 and 7 are the hardest for Joyce when we're getting ready for dinner and it's been a long day and the kids are coming and going. So I learned I need to be uh, ready when I come home to minister. But I came through the door and the house was quiet. The only greeting I got was from our dogs. And I thought, this, I mean, it never happens. At that stage of life, it literally never happened that the house was quiet when I came home from work. And I had this thought, this fateful thought. Well, maybe I could just sit down and relax and read the paper, drink a cup of coffee before everyone gets home. And then I turned 
because our, I come through the, the doors and the kitchen's right there, and there are Polish pottery dishes just piled up near the sink, just a, like a whole bunch of them. Um, I think Joyce had been shopping. I don't remember the details, except that there was a lot of them there. And I had this thought, should I unload the dishwasher and put the dishes in, or should I read the paper like I deserve <laughs> after a hard day's work? Now, I like to be helpful around the house, but th this was an opportunity. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit got me. I said, okay, I'm going to do the dishes first. And if I don't get to rest till later in the day, that's fine. And I go over there and I unload and I load and they're washing and I go to sit down and I'm feeling so good about being a husband. Husbands, do you know that feeling? <laughs> Comes and goes. The door opens and I'm behind the paper and reading away and Joyce comes in and I hear this. Who loaded these dishes in the dishwasher? Now, being, being a sensitive husband that I am, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> I didn't know what for sure, because the question in itself was good. It was the tone that was getting me. The que she could ask the question, who loaded these dishes in the dishwasher? And the answer would have been, my wonderful, loving, sweet husband. But I knew the answer to the same question with this tone was going to be different. So I stayed behind my paper like a wise husband, hoping she wouldn't see me. Well, uh, basically, we hadn't decided yet if we were going to wash the Polish pottery dishes in the dishwasher or if we were going to do them by hand. And I don't remember the reasoning between the two. There, there's, there's reasoning for all kinds of things that I don't understand. But here's the point. I, I had apparently been communicated to me in a prior conversation, which, which I op oppose to this day that it actually happened, that we were going to wash them by hand. And so I had, I had put them in the dishwasher. I don't know if... But here's what happened. We were having a little tiff over just miscommunication um, differing expectations, but I was so upset that she had not recognized that I had done the right thing when I could have gone right to my paper and had not shown me the respect for my attempt at love that I got angry. And then she got angry. Now those just human reasons, and we were both very tired and stressed, those human reasons now propelled us into something that was much more challenging. And I just kept getting angrier and angrier. And I have not won many fights in our marriage. When Joyce gets angry, she gets like precise and articulate. And I get, like that. And that's, it's, I don't win that way. But I try. I keep trying. She, she finally left. Words were exchanged. And uh, our Kyrie, who was just a little girl at that time, she looked up at me with big old tearful eyes and she said, Mom's in the bathroom crying. You need to go in there and apologize. <laughs> she was right. She was right. 
I know this is a long intro, but I'm having fun. Okay. <laughs> she was right. So I, and, and the, the anger dissipated, and we went in and we talked it out. What causes quarrels and, and fights among you? Sometimes, it, really, a lot of them are just, they're human nature things. They're missed expectations and miscommunication and fatigue and those kind of things. Those are not bad reasons. There are desires to be loved and respected and understood. Those are good reasons. But they get us into bad places. This is not what James is talking about. He's talking about something a whole lot more serious. Let's look at what he has to say. If you're not there yet, turn to James chapter 4, as I will do. As I said in the BP Blast, he's going to ask four questions. He's going to talk about ten commands, and he's going to give us one path to run on. And these four questions are loaded. They're strong. He's already asked one. Look at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers his question with a question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? <clears throat> yes, they do. When he's talking about desires here, we know from the context, from chapter 1, and we know immediately from chapter 3, what Pastor Bob covered last week. Look at uh, 3.14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find dis excuse me, disorder and every kind of evil practice. He's talking, when he says the desires that battle within us, he's talking about the evil desires. He's talking about the selfish desires. And he, throughout this book, is combating their, um, their slide to a place where they were just living primarily for themselves and was having all kinds of negative results. His, in this book, his overarching concern is the protection of the community of believers from the discord and chaos that results from self-interest living. He's trying to protect them from that chaos, from the results of self-interest living. Self-interest living that leads to sin of all kinds. Slander, fighting, mistreating the poor, favoritism, poor handling of suffering, pride, and a faith that is all talk and not walk. James is digging at the root cause of all these issues, the motives of their hearts that are selfish, self-oriented, and self-focused. His questions probe the sick abyss of their unhealthy hearts. That's what he's getting at. They had bought into the idea that living primarily for their desires and their pleasures was the way to live, their self-interest. Above all, or as that famous theologian from Canada says, Because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and love yourself. <laughs> and if you think that I'm still holding on to something, you should go and love yourself. 
That great theologian, of course, is Justin Bieber. <laughs> and I hope you know I'm speaking ironically here. Because later in the song, he says, and you should know, my mama don't like you. And she likes everyone. I love that he's breaking up with his girl and using his mama as a reference. Justin Bieber, ladies and gentlemen. You should go and love yourself. Well, the truth is, that's where uh, the people of the 12 tribes scattered among the nations that James is writing this letter to, they, they had gone and loved themselves. And it was creating all kinds of problems. Look at verse 2 and 3, because he goes on to describe some of this. He says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. These desires, at any cost, they were going after them. They were coveting, envious. They were killing. There's no... You know, uh, the commentaries I read about this, just, uh, there's no irony here. It's not like he's saying, your quarreling is killing you. It's like literally something was happening where they were, they were getting to such a rage that there was actually murder taking place. You cannot have what you want. The end of that verse says, uh, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. So they're not praying to God. And what happens when they do pray to God? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Everything about them have become self-consumed, excuse me, even their prayers. And this phrase, so you can spend it on your pleasures, is the exact same phrase used in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son grabs his inheritance and he goes to spend it on his pleasures. The picture that the, the people of God were burning their inheritance, what God had given them in the community, in order to spend it on their pleasures. Self-interest living, where we are primarily focused on what we need and what we desire for our pleasures, for our purposes, destroys community. That's where quarrels and fights come from. Because you want something and you demand it and it creates discord with the people you love and that love you. I experienced that as a coach. Some of you know that I've coached basketball at Inglewood, uh, our community district at the junior high level and high school level for the last six years. And there are some basketball players that James would have been thinking about related to their self-interest. It's about their glory, it's about their stats, and they are so hard to coach, even if they're incredibly talented. Because they destroy team unity. They destroy uh, what it takes to be a team and to be a team and actually win some games and play well. Fortunately, we had the opposite kid on our team, and our, that was our son, Jonathan. Jonathan never complained. He never worried about his stats. This year he's a starter on varsity. He was named team captain. He's a brag on him a little bit. Awesome work, young man. And all the coaches, we loved him. Because when he was on the floor, he made everybody better. He was an encourager. On, it wasn't about him. It was about others. And in our organizations and in our, our families and in church, when we primarily and first think about the needs of others, God blesses 
those relationships. But when we get wrapped up in us, that's when the discord happens. So he's asked two of the questions. He's got two more to go. And it gets, gets rougher. Look what he says. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? He's saying, he's not saying, uh, don't be a friend of planet earth and all the good things that are here on earth. He's not saying, don't enjoy the good things of life and don't enjoy the blessings God has given you. He's saying, don't align your soul with the values uh, and the systems of this world that are evil and wrong and self-focused. Don't align, don't become a friend with that. That's what the, the world preaches that. As believers, we're not to align ourselves with that, with that a philosophy. That's becoming a friend of the world. That I'm number one. My desires are what matter. Because when we are in that place and we're an enemy of God. And then he speaks uh, the commentaries. You know, I don't know Greek, uh, but the com commentary, commentators that know Greek say this next phrase in, in verse 5 is really a challenge to understand. Uh, or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? I don't even understand that when I read it. But I have a footnote because it can be, it's question, is it referring to the Holy Spirit? Is it referring to our spirit? The footnote says, or another translation could be that God jealously longs for the spirit he, that he made to live in us. And that's where most landed. That God is a jealous God. We know that from the Old Testament. He's jealous for our devotion. And he longs intensely for our spirits to be his. And when we align ourselves, when we become friends with the world, its values and its systems, then we put ourselves in opposition to him. So he's asked our four questions now. And they're, they're all designed to just uncover the state of the hearts of the recipients there way back then. How were they living? The, the fruit of their living was... I know Pastor Bob talked about uh, you know, the political season we're in and Facebook and the power of the tongue, all those things. Man, there was, they weren't Facebooking back then, but there was stuff going on, and uh, it was creating gossip and slander and discord because it was all about them. Look at verse 6. But, but what? He gives more grace. But I am so thankful for all the buts in the Bible. And I don't mean all the jerks. I mean the buts, the conjunction. But as bad as it was back then, God is saying, I want to offer more grace. I'm here. I love you. Grace is Right there, so this passage now is pivoting to these Ten Commands, and these Ten Commands, they're, they're pretty strong, but they, he was dealing with a pretty messed up situation, so he's going to give them ten things to do so that they can come back into fellowship with God and each other. And he sums it up in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. 
That is why the scripture says, he's quoting a proverb, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. At the core of their selfish desires was arrogance. At the core of fellowship with God and with each other is humility. A right understanding of who God is and who we are. Humility, that's the path, that's the way, that's the place to walk on. They had gotten off the path, he's saying the path is humility. He's already began to set this up over in 3.13 where he talks about humility. And then he's going to end this section with humility. And right here in the middle, he's talking about humility. All right, let's look at these Ten Commands. Here they are. Submit, resist, come near, wash, purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change, humble. There you go. Ten-step plan to get back on the path. Submit. What does he say? Submit to God. See, at the core of their problem was they weren't submitting to God and their, and their belief that he was good and that his way would, would bless their lives. Arrogantly, they were assuming they had to take care of themselves above all because God wasn't going to do it. And if James' first words are, submit, align yourself, not to the ways of the world, but to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's interesting. where We've quoted this verse many times in our lives. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you get the context here. He's insinuating, implying that really the, the world system and self-interest living, that is, that is the lie of Satan that he wants to infiltrate the church with, your life with. He's behind it. He's behind that world system. At our church there in Littleton, Colorado, we're in between pastors. So this summer, Joyce and I have been uh, teaching, uh, uh, preaching for nine weeks. We just finished on spiritual warfare, the schemes of the enemy, and uh, the armor of God. And it's been a, a great and challenging study. And so when I read, after all that study and thinking and preaching all summer long, when I see, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think about all his schemes. He's the evil one. There's nothing good in him. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He's a tempter. He's a predator. He's a thief. He is out to destroy us and destroy the church and destroy families. And we don't often realize the danger is there. I don't think the people, the churches that James was writing to, that just one day they woke up and said, hey, I think I'm just going to live for myself above all. That's my desires are the most important thing. They got there over time, slowly, uh, with some kind of erosion in their character and in their perspective. My brother-in-law, Steve Patty, is here. Steve, he, back uh, Joyce's brother and his girlfriend, Olivia. Right? Oh, good. Good, good. If that's wrong, tell me after. Uh, Olivia... And um, this last summer, uh, some of you know Steve. We, when we were here in the early 80s working with the youth, uh, Steve was a part of that. And uh, this past summer, the Patty men, uh, a lot of us, went up to Alaska to fish. Anyone been to Alaska to fish for salmon or for halibut? 
I love that. I love that. We didn't catch any halibut, um, but we weren't up there for the halibut. We were up there to fish for salmon. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's the only way I can think of how to swear in church would be the same. We weren't there for the halibut. Okay. I, I need to wrap up. So here, here's what I'm thinking. I was with... We, we, we did it as cheap as possible, so we just rented little skiffs. We weren't charting or anything, and so we, we were out there in the open weather in these little uh, 15-foot skiffs, and we got caught a lot of fish. It was a blast, but you know, then, we, then we have to fillet it all and clean it all and package it all. We do the whole thing ourselves. Great time. Well, I was with Joyce's other, one of her other brothers, Josh, and we decided to go out looking for halibut, so we went way out to this little island, and we were fishing away, and nothing was going on, and then we saw this pot of whales. Uh, and they were just swimming along. Hey, isn't that cool? Then they disappeared, and they disappeared for a long time. And then the water right next to our skiff, maybe from me to Evan, started boiling. And Josh was like, oh, cool, they're feeding. Like, I didn't know this afterwards, but they, they, they were rounding up all the little fish and putting them into a little circle because in the next moment... This pot of whales came up out of the water, just surged out right next to our skiff, just scared us to death. And we just were just frozen. I mean, then, then they disappeared. And I got on the motor. I'm like, we're out of here, you know. And we're having this conversation. I'm like, do, do whales have good eyesight? I mean, would they see the bottom of the skiff? Or we're our lives in danger? Satan's attacks are not obvious. They, they are underwater. And he is working all the time for our destruction. And in a moment, we may not expect it. It could be right there. We have to resist. We have to be aware of his schemes. We have to resist him. And that's the great part. We resist him. How? In the name of Jesus. And he will flee from us. He's not that powerful. But he's at work to tempt us to buy into this lie. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's just a beautiful invitation for us today. Come near to God. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. Um, this would be imagery from the Old Testament. Uh, let me just read you a psalm. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. It's uh, the imagery even of the sacrifice, uh, cleaning themselves for the sacrifices, uh, purifying themselves. Uh, the, the readers would understand very clearly what he's saying. He's saying repent. He's just saying the grace is right there. Come near to God, but it takes repentance. Grieve, mourn, and wail. This is Old Testament prophetic language that the Old Testament prophets used uh, when, they, when they felt people were in great and imminent danger. And, and he says, change. This is actual repentance. Now I'm at the uh, middle of nine. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. James isn't saying to them and to us, you know, live a joyless life, you know, forget the laughter. I mean, we know the opposite is true as believers, that we have so much to laugh and have joy about in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, but he's saying, hey, you got to get serious. This, 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 this place you've come is really serious. It's causing serious harm to you and the people you love. 
You need to mourn that sin. You need to grieve it. You need to wail so that you can turn. And then finally he ends with this beautiful verse in verse 10, which kind of sums it all up. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So James has asked us four challenging questions, probing to, the, to our hearts, not trying to discover if we're having problems in our relationships because we're human beings and, and we just got to talk stuff through, or if there is something in our lives that has slowly slid us to an alignment with the world, which believes that self-interest and self-focus is the most important thing, and I will, no matter what my desires, I will live them out for my pleasure. I don't care what the cost is. That's where he's looking to uncover in the believers back then and for us today, because this is God's word for us today. So those are the questions we have to ask as we think about our lives. Where are we at in our love and devotion to God? Has there been an erosion of the things that we think are most important? Are we truly living for whatever God asks us to do for the blessing of other people? It doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy life. It's not that out-of-balance perspective. But the heart of today's message is a look at our motives to say, okay, have I drifted down to a place, if I'm honest about it, if I'm really honest, I have drifted in what I, I really believe to be true. And there's something in me that's struggling to trust God that he will take care of me and give me the satisfaction of walking with him if I really follow him. What's most important in my life? So I'll close with one more story while we think on those questions from God's word today. A year ago, uh, every five years, Cadence, we have a ministry of the military. We invite you to come have lunch with us and hear more. We'll talk more about our family and ministry after the service. Um, but every five years, the whole mission gets together. So um, this, this was about 300 adults and 50 youth and kids. And we go to a place in Wisconsin, uh, Green Lake, Wisconsin, and we gather as a staff. So we have staff around the world at military bases ministering in multiple ways. And uh, so we get together for encouragement, uh, for challenge, for revisioning, and we just had a great week together. Well, at the end of the week, uh, Joyce and I, we reached 30 years of ministry with Cadence, um, but also I reached 20 years as president of Cadence. And unbeknownst to me, uh, one of our staff had sent an email and said, you know, Schroeder drives a really beat up car. And I was like, what? I mean, I didn't see the email, but he told me later what he said. And I'm like, my car, is a, it was a 96 Cabriolet. I've bragged about it to you guys before. It's awesome. But, you know, it, I had holes in this. In, it was a convertible. I had holes in the roof. I didn't want to spend the money to repair that. In Colorado, it hardly ever rained. So no big deal. I wouldn't do that here. The speedometer was broken. There were all kinds of problems with the car. Uh, but I was fine with it. I've never had a nice car. I was just happy driving my little old cabriolet. So they had been collecting money to give me a gift so I could get another car. 
And the last night of conference, they presented me with about $12,000 that they had given from their own pockets. And I cried. And all of a sudden, I was not happy with my cabriolet. <laughs> so I went home. A beautiful gift. I mean, it was so encouraging. That's the most important thing about it. But uh, I went home and I started looking for cars. And uh, I thought, you know, I know it's okay for a missionary to own a BMW or a Mercedes-Benz. Some of you might own them, and, and it's really okay. It's great. But for me, you know, I'd been driving cabriolets and minivans and so on. It was like, can, can I? So I just peeked over in Craigslist over on the, the, would it be okay? And this car popped up. Now, it's, it's a 2001 but it only had 11,000 miles on it. It's a Mercedes-Benz 320 SLK, hardtop convertible, golden, beautiful. Whoa, whoa. And I thought to myself, can a missionary own a car like that? And I thought to myself, oh yes, this one can. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So I went and drove the car. And then I go, oh, I don't know if I can. And, and there was a line behind me to get this car. Uh, I'd been sitting in a garage, a nice older couple that drove it just a little bit every year. And uh, then I took a friend back. said, can I own this car? I bought the car. I own the car. I've been driving it for a year. Thank you. All right, all right. It's okay, right? It's okay. It gives me such joy. I'm telling you, the, one of the first intersections, I was a little self-conscious at first, because I just, no, I felt like everyone's looking at my car. I'd never, people don't look at me, like I don't, you know, whatever. Okay, so I'm driving along, I get to an intersection, and this large black lady, and I, I tell you her ethnicity, because it matters, she's walking across, she stops in front of my car, and she goes, well, the driver ain't much to look at, but that car is a beauty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, baby. I'm just kidding. Praise Jesus. And she walked off. So <laughs> she, had it, she had it accurate. Well, last October is homecoming. It's Jonathan's last homecoming. And I think I was having my quiet time, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, let Jonathan take your car to homecoming. Now, Jonathan's a trustworthy, good driver. You know, it's not like, Jonathan, oh, no. But see, I... I didn't know you could worry about a car <laughs> until I started driving this, and then all of a sudden I was parking like miles away at Walmart. You know, I'm still shopping at Walmart, you know, but, but I got a beautiful Mercedes, and I'm parking way out there, and I'm like, oh, I have some anxiety about a car. This is new for me. But I thought, no, I want Jonathan to enjoy it. This is a gift to me. I want to share it. So I told Jonathan he was all like, right on, pops. And uh, then we, a bunch of the, his friends came over for photos at our house, and then he and his date, they looked so good when they got in that car. I mean, I was like, oh, God, do not ask me to give the car to Jonathan. That would not be right. It's a gift to me. It wouldn't be right. Okay, so I'm wrapping up. So off they go. They have a, they have a great night, and I don't worry at all. The next day, uh, I had to go early to church, uh, so I, I got in the car, you know, just a quick peek, looked pretty good, drove to church, backed it into some shade, 
Uh, and then I was just, you know, I had never had a clicker before. That's the kind of cars I owned. I didn't even have one of the fob beeper things. So now I'm just all like, boom. <laughs> it's really nice. I know I'm behind the times, but when you get to the times, you enjoy it. Boom. I looked back and I looked under the fender. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Well, there was the bottom fender. There were scratches along, uh, all along the bottom of the, the bumper. And I thought, huh, I, I warned Jonathan. In Colorado, they, they have dips in the road where they want the water to drain because we get this flash flooding. And, and I knew the clearance was low, so I warned him about the curve. So I, that was the only thing I'd really warned him about. And there were scratches all along the bottom. And what do you, what do you think I felt? <laughs> oh, I felt such joy and happiness. <laughs> I mean, this car is in mint condition. There's not a scratch on it. My heart kind of sank. And I went through church kind of wrestling with, oh, man, you know, I need to talk to him about it, see if he knows, you know, what happened. And I got scratches. So I, I was driving home, and our, our garage is behind our house. I was coming around the house, and I pulled up to the garage. I didn't go in because Jonathan was just getting out of his. He, he'd been driving a 1992 Previa with 262,000 miles on it because that's a teenage boy car. That's what he normally drives. And I stopped, and I got out and said, hey, Jonathan, do you just look at, look at the scratches under here. You know, do you have any? And, and truly, he was like, I don't, I don't remember hearing anything or, you know. And he said, you know, when you hit those dips, if you hit the, hit the bumper, you, you hear it. Because I had the music pretty loud, and I was like, yeah, that's how it should be. You should be rocking out. So, and I, I think I just, I handled it well. And I... I trusted that, you know, whenever, a curb or whatever, it's, it's, it's a car, right? It's a possession. It's a pleasure. So then the funny thing is, truly, I got back in my car, and I wasn't paying attention, and when I went to pull in the garage, I hit the right side of the garage door frame with the right side, and it just went, <laughs> and I broke a headlight, and I left paint on my car. That didn't feel too good. But when I got off the car, Jonathan was standing right there, you know, like, nice driving, Pops. <laughs> I got out of the car. We had a laugh about it. I was so glad that I, in those moments with the car, I had aligned myself with what's really important to God. Jonathan, that's who's important to God. It's a possession. I haven't even fixed those scratches because I want to be reminded it's just a possession. It may give pleasure and joy, which it does, but the, the things that really matter in life are when I give myself for the sake of other people in the kingdom of God. That's what matters, people. That's James' word to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. You tell us it penetrates to joints and marrows and to the motives of our hearts. So, Lord, I pray wherever your spirit has taken us in your word that we would respond accordingly. Give us perspective. Give us perspective. If we have drifted, God, would you just reveal that to us so we can see it anew and repent and get back on that path of humility. Thank you for this church. They are such a blessing to me and my family. And I pray you would bless them in their relationships this day. In Jesus' name.